Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. And speaking of all over the world, the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine goes on and on and on. Millions of people on the run, on the walk, on the drive, trying to escape uh, the destruction that's happening in Ukraine. We are very excited to have on with us Stefan Lehmeyer, the the International Rescue Committee, uh, who are working very, very hard and closely in Ukraine and have been for um, for five weeks now uh, to help mitigate this uh, this humanitarian disaster. Stefan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you with us. I wish it was under other circumstances, however. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Stefan, tell us what is the latest? Where are we going? What? How many refugees are on the move now? It seems like the number keeps bumping up every time I look at the media reports. You're right. Um, the pace at which people are leaving Ukraine is slowing down somewhat compared to the very early days, compared to the very few first few weeks. But still, it is one of the fastest, if not the fastest, displacement crises we have seen in, in, in recent history. Uh, we have more than 4 million people who have left Ukraine since February 24. Um, but we have a total of more than 10 million people of Ukraine displaced. So there's 4 million who have left the country, the other 6 million, 6.5 million displaced inside Ukraine who have had to leave their homes and are um, find, finding shelter elsewhere. Staggering that's figures, Stefan. Yeah, yes, I mean, well, that's, that's two Singapores right there. Two Singapores yep. are now displaced, 10 million people. Extraordinary, Stefan. I mean, it changes daily, if not hourly, but from your point of view, the International Rescue Committee, what are the priorities right now? The top priorities um, for us lie in Ukraine itself. Um, People who are there um, are at great risk, especially um, civilians in the areas where fighting is taking place. Um, As you said, the situation is changing very rapidly, hourly indeed, as you said. Um, but we have largely seen the fighting concentrated in the north, the east, the south. Um, the last few days in particular, it seems that um, more of the fighting activity has started to uh, be concentrated in the east. But still, in all those areas where um, militaries are clashing with each other, civilians are in great danger. The uh, Geneva Conventions of International Humanitarian Law um, state that civilians have to be protected. Uh, they cannot be targeted by, by military by armed forces, those rules are not being respected, especially by mm. uh, just generally are not being respected. Both civilians and as well as infrastructure are being targeted. So our greatest concern is is in that regard. We need international humanitarian law to be upheld, um, and only combatants can be targeted. But aside from that, um, another major concern is people's access to healthcare, um, as well as just basic food supplies, really, and then. Again, in those areas where fighting is taking place, especially in those besieged cities where about a total of 12 million people are affected, um, there's shortages or inavailability of electricity, heating, and safe drinking water. So yeah. that's really mm. our greatest concern. We're talking with uh, Stefan Lehmeyer the, of the International Rescue Committee. Uh, Stefan, I believe you're in, uh, you're in Canada, in Ottawa. Is that correct? I myself uh, currently in, in Ottawa, but our teams are um, in Ukraine itself, of as well as in Poland, where most of the people um, leaving Ukraine have arrived, as well as the rest of Europe. We have teams in about uh, 10 countries plus yeah. in Europe at this time responding. Uh, Stefan, uh, the, um, 
supply lines for humanitarian aid. Uh, I, I read more than one media report saying that in many cases they've been broken. Uh, there have been reports of uh, Russian troops looting some of the supplies. Uh, yeah. What are you hearing about uh, about any of these specific or general claims about um, the the urgently important food and medicine and water not getting to the people that need it? So basically there is uh, at least two major problems that we're confronted with. One is from a logistical perspective, um, being able to use roads, bridges, warehouses, um, when those um, uh, when, that, when that infrastructure is, is destroyed, we cannot cross rivers, we cannot um, store our supplies um, in distribution centers and hubs to then distribute it out to people who need it. The other aspect is the security of our own staff. Um, if we are granted permission to enter an area, but staff are then um, under fi- come under fire, we cannot send our teams into those areas where people need assistance. And that, again, affects the, our ability to provide aid. So those are major problems that we're having in, in making sure that aid reaches people. We have the option of um, either giving um, relief supplies to government um, authorities who then can try to distribute, but they will face similar problems with logistics uh, and security. We also have the option maybe mostly outside the areas of fighting to provide people with um, either cash um, or with, with relief supplies in, in areas that are safer. But um, since we want to mainly target people of greatest vulnerability with the greatest need, mm. uh, these problems of security and, and logistics are, are huge concerns for us. It's very complicated. And just to go back to Neil's point, the fact that it's changing daily is making it all the more complicated because the, by the time you've develop the workaround for for an area you cannot access yeah. other areas become inaccessible too yeah yeah and you're not alone i'm just reading stefan that the international committee of the red cross similar to what you're saying said it was unable to reach the besieged city of maripol again to evacuate citizens which is similar to what you're saying that corridors are supposedly being opened up for civilians to be evacuated by organizations like yourself but either they're being attacked or the standard rules of engagement are not being followed is Mm. this what your guys are experiencing on the ground yes uh, this is uh, the the biggest problem and of course for us it's impossible to know when such incidents happen and and promises are broken or rules are not upheld we don't know if it's a, a situation where local units didn't get the instructions to respect the humanitarian corridor or if, or if it's intentional for certain strategic yeah. reasons, it does make a difference anyways, of course, to, to our teams who come under fire and it does make a difference to the people who are without food and for whom every single day without assistance counts. Um, yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, Stefan, the, um, this idea of, of, of people being able to um, shelter in subway stations and, and various places, the people that are left in the besieged areas that cannot get out, what types of accommodations are they able to find? I, I know this is going to vary widely, but what are you hearing? Are they in refugee kind of centers? Are they trying to stay home? Are they in, you know, again, public transport buildings? Where, where are they able to shelter? So they're is really a, a wide range of situations, especially because different parts of the country are more or less affected. Mm. If you go from one extreme being Mariupol, where m- maybe most parts of the city really are destroyed, mm. um, um, in, in that extreme situation, wh- whoever still has um, an intact building will 
try to stay there for as long as they can, even if they don't have access to drinking water in their building or, or heating. They'll go to um, water points that they can find to bring drinking water back into their apartment and, and try to stay there. And those whose homes have been destroyed fully will be staying with friends, neighbors, family members, um, since they cannot leave Mariupol, for instance. And then there's other parts of the country. If we go to the other extreme, if you will, Western parts of the country bordering Poland would not have been affected by active fighting aside from missile strikes and, and bombings. They would be continuing their life as, as before in the sense that they are in their apartments and they have infrastructure that's functioning, but they will have constant air raids multiple times a day where they have to stop doing whatever they're doing, have to go into the basement or the um, subway stations, as you said, to shelter. And this can take hours. So even just the, the need for, for people in those places to constantly um, run for their lives because they don't know if a bomb will hit and, and where, um, that is demoralizing and very difficult to to handle. Um, and of course, in, in all these places, you have p people who have particular needs, mm. the elderly, people living with disabilities, small children. So as this goes for into the fifth week and on, it's getting more and more difficult for people to um, sustain this. Stefan, uh, wow. it's just harrowing listening to you talking about this. I mean, we'll come to Singapore in a moment, but let's just talk about the international community at the moment. For yourself, running this, helping, being a part of this organization, working with these humanitarian corridors, what would you like to see from the international community? What are they doing or not doing that you would like to change if it was possible? Mm. Uh, uh, well, I mean, the diplomatic pressure on uh, Russia and Ukraine to come to a negotiated agreement and to uh, come to a ceasefire and stop the fighting is the greatest priority. There's huge pressure from the international community and support for these negotiations, although they haven't progressed very much at all. But that pressure, that, that's the very first thing that needs to happen. Also, the huge solidarity we've seen from around the world to um, support um, relief operations uh, with supplies, with anything that people can give, whether it's, it's cash or um, other f forms of support. This is also essential because um, aid organizations depend on support and partnerships uh, to provide those supplies and, and run those operations. Um, in other parts of Europe, also the hospitality that people have been offering, taking in mm. refugees, providing them shelter, helping them integrate in, in, in their places of, of refuge, um, those are very important elements um, at, at this time. Not notably, know I, that, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Yeah, please, continue. Uh, just to end by saying, we know that this is getting more difficult um, as the conflict continues. At the, in the very first weeks, I think the entire world was shocked that there would be a war of this kind. And that there was an outpouring of solidarity. As this continues, it'll be harder for people to still volunteer their time and still uh, pay attention. But it will be important to keep up that attention as much as possible and keep up that support for relief operations. Yeah, people do get uh, fatigued after a while on the outside, never mind the unbearable fatigue on the inside with those impacted. Uh, we've seen the amazing efforts of Poland specifically uh, bringing in millions of refugees. Uh, to your knowledge, are uh, any of the humanitarian concerns on the table in these uh, ongoing political talks between Russia and Ukraine about some sort of ceasefire or uh, are, you know, are your concerns being addressed at the bargaining table right now to, as far as what you know? So we, as, as the International Rescue Committee, of course, we, we only really know what's in the media 
uh, about the negotiations. From what we're hearing, um, issues related to civilians and their needs are on the agenda, but as, as mentioned previously, the humanitarian corridors, for instance, which were part of these negotiations from the very first time that the two sides met, mm. um, haven't really been working as well as they should. Um, there have been moments when they did work, which is good news, but just as many moments basically where it has not been working. And, and of course, when, you, when people trust a corridor and then start moving and then are being shelled, um, this, the consequences are disastrous. So yeah. uh, we're not at all, um, our concerns are not at all um, alleviated by what we've seen so far. Not at all. And finally, Stefan, just briefly, um, sometimes in Singapore, we seem so far away, so lucky in many ways, we feel a little bit detached, a little bit helpless. What can, from your perspective at the International Rescue Committee, what can Singaporeans do? So offering there's people's support to, to aid organizations, as simple as it, as it may seem, makes a huge difference. Um, we have been able to act very quickly and very flexibly to the needs that we see on the ground because we've been, received support that was unrestricted. It, it wasn't earmarked for a specific way of helping um, support for just medical help or just education. It was support that we received to, in order to help people in Ukraine. If you have such broad support, you can act very nimbly and uh, target areas that need the help the most. Aside from, from, from material support, if you will, to aid organizations, even speaking out on your own Facebook page, in whatever social media you have, or whatever voice you have, if you use that and speak out and express your concerns, people notice, diplomats notice, mm. governments notice, and um, that level of attention, that solidarity um, mm. will help us and will help all those who are engaged in working towards a solution keep moving forward. Yeah. Uh, people should not underestimate their voice. Mm, yeah. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, uh, and just finally from other discussions uh, around refugee issues, uh, I, it's my understanding that you know, sending blankets and toothbrushes and bars of soap is not the best idea because of the logistical issues around doing that. Uh, even though people's uh, intentions are pure and good, uh, the best thing uh, for aid organizations is to get cash. Is is that correct? That is correct. Uh, because um, with um, with cash, we can um, choose the items needed most in that very moment. We can be very nimble and efficient and the dollars will stretch much further. If we have blankets, we have to um, incur the additional cost of taking blankets, as an example, all the way to Ukraine. We have to store mm. them somewhere and then provide them when needed. This is very expensive and inefficient um, as opposed to purchasing blankets on site. In some parts of Ukraine, markets are still functioning, so we can be much, much quicker if we have uh, cash to work with. That's for sure. Yeah, so people yeah. keep keep caring, keep doing things, but send money. Don't send uh, you know, uh, personal care items that are just going to be a, a hassle for aid organizations, no matter who that organization is, to, to get around right. uh, the country. Uh, Stefan Lehmeyer of the International Red Rescue Committee, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, as always, we wish you and your teams in the field all the best and, and hope that you'll come back on with, uh, with some better news in weeks to come. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.